Hello and welcome to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. This is your host, Nick Galetti, and this episode's a little bit different than some of the ones that we've had in the past because we are bringing on a young man who has not yet decided whether or not he's going to serve a mission. And he talks about some of the challenges that he faces, and I think these are stories that resonate with a lot of young men today. There are so many options in this world that we live in, and a mission is one of those that uh, isn't so easy for everybody. So I decided to bring on a young man who's actually in my ward to come on and talk about his decision-making process. And we get to learn some wonderful insights that may be applicable to that youth in your ward who is also making the decision on whether or not to serve a mission. So here is my interview with Chase Chesley. We have a first on this episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission cast. We have someone that has uh, not yet received their mission call, but is considering going on a mission. And uh, this just happens to be a very special podcast interview for me because this young man who's with us here in my home studio tonight is in my ward. And so I want to welcome Chase Chesley to Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. Thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. So I wanted to, uh, by the way, has anybody told you that you have like a perfect country music star name? Chase um, Chesley sounds like a really great country music star name. I've heard it before, yes. <laughs> I was born in Kentucky. Oh, well, that makes it even better. So, uh, so yeah, you've been, you've been in our ward now for how long? Um, I think it's almost eight years now. Okay, yeah, wow, eight years. Time flies. So one of the things that uh, has been of interest to me in seeing you grow up through the years is that uh, you've had uh, both of your parents are members of the church and your sisters have been in the church and all this. You have somewhat of a history with the church, but you also have strong interest in the military, in ROTC stuff. Where did that come from? So I was looking at my options just for my career in the future, and I knew I had a goal of going to college but um, I'd always been very patriotic and had a slight interest in the military just for as long as I could remember. And then in high school, I had the opportunity to join the JROTC unit they had there. So I wasn't a theater kid. I tried theater in junior high. It wasn't my thing. So I decided that this was the next thing. Okay, that's a big jump. There's a very big difference between those two. <laughs> yes, but it ended up fitting my personality a lot better and the military started having an increasingly um, important role in my future in life. That has been a part of your life for how long? Um, four years. Four years. Is it something that you would say has been a... Uh, temptation's not the right word, but has it been something that you have said, do I want to serve a mission or do I want to go into the military? Has that been a question that you've had to kind of wrestle with? Yes, there's definitely been a conflict there because going on a mission seems simple. It's a commandment. It's something we're expected to do a lot when we're raised in the church. But when I'm presented all these plans from recruiters for the military, as I grow increasingly independent and I start deciding what I want to do with my future, then yes, the military starts becoming a much greater conflict with the mission, deciding whether I want to join the military, whether that's correct for me and for my future or not. 
or whether I want to go on a mission. So what's been your approach to kind of wrestling with that decision? How have you gone about making that decision? I've just been looking at my career options a lot with the military. Military, I've just, I've seen all the options I want, the things I want to do, and investigated the timeline for them. How will a mission impact my future career with the military if I choose that path? There was a point where I actually decided I wanted to try and apply for an academy, the Air Force Academy. Oh, okay. Back East, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, I was 17 at the time. So I was preparing for a mission and then this awesome pathway to be in an academy that would give me good education, awesome career in the military opened up. At the time, I was, again, wrestling with military versus mission. I decided I'd apply for the academy. And then um, if I felt strongly to go on a mission, if um, I decided that was the correct thing to do, then I could get up, give up the academy and go on a mission. But for then, I had decided that I was going to try for the academy. So I did actually go through with the whole application process. And I didn't get in, but I got pretty far through um, congressional nominations and plenty of interviews. That's an intense process. It was. It was It was really hard at the time because um, in high school, I was also on the seminary council. I was vice president of it. So I had a big role in military through JROTC and applying for the academy. At the same time, I'm a leader at my school for seminary, and I'm an example of what a good young man and priesthood holder should be doing. So it definitely added some weight to both sides. It made it interesting. <laughs> you are being pulled in two different directions, which is, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that people have challenges. Some people, it's not necessarily the military. It could just be some other career option. It could be family pressures. There's a lot of different things that youth are facing as obstacles, other options, alternatives, whatever you want to call it, to keeping people from making the decision to go on a mission easy. As far as putting forward any effort towards serving a mission, the military, would you say that's been kind of your number one other option other than a mission? Yes, I'd say so. Okay. Um, I'm currently going to Salt Lake Community College. That's just kind of something to keep me busy right now. And as I've gone there, I realized, you know, there are a lot of pathways I could be taking, but the military has always been the primary conflict with the mission. Yeah. And it it is an honorable way to go, you know, right? There's nothing nothing wrong with serving in the military or anything. So that it, it's a very powerful choice that you have to make because it, it does change a lot in how your life will go for the rest of the rest of at least the foreseeable future. So it's not an easy decision. How does it keep you up at night or or how how resolved are you with this at this point? Uh right now I'm 18, so this is the time I really should be pursuing either a mission or military. Yeah. And I'm still pretty in the middle. I'm pretty undecided still. I I think a lot as youth, we're told that we'll know what's right and we'll decide what's right, that it's something we'll just learn and develop. But um, the more time I spend trying to just understand what is right, the more I realize, you know, I'm going to have to really, I'm just going to have to make a choice at some point. I'm going to have to weigh my options and choose that the right thing isn't going to come to me. Because yes, military um, is definitely, it's not a bad way to go. It's, you're not going to be shunned for joining the military. <laughs> but also, a mission is very important. It's a commandment. Makes it interesting yeah, once again. Yeah, for sure. 
as far as uh, your process, how, how are you approaching this? What, what's, what are some of the things that you've tried to help make that decision a little clearer? Um, I, right now, I've been talking to a lot of recruiters, again, looking at a career in the military, um, as well as going to mission prep with a high intent to serve a mission. So I'm pushing further and further both ways. And um, as both options grow further apart on a continuum, I believe that I'll be able to eventually just make a choice between one or the other, that the gray area will be less and I'll be able to make a choice. So you almost feel like the decision will be made for you or like some great light will shine down and say, this this is the missing piece that will help you make that decision. I don't think it's as much as a light shining down that I'm thinking as much as just instead of having a gray area, you know, I could do this, I could do that. Just having both options set and then just choosing. It's kind of a tough one. If you were to, I don't know how the military works. Is is there any great loss if you do it after your mission? No, not currently. What do you mean not currently? Uh, when I had the option of joining the academy, that would have it would have been either a mission or the military. Oh, okay. The academy has a good time commitment. Uh, it's just like going to a university, except the university owns you. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, there, if you don't get in like right out of high school, then they're going to be a lot pickier about taking you in. They want, they want you fresh out of high school. If you don't get in fresh out of high school, good luck getting in after that. No, so I see. It was either I got it then or I didn't, and that was it. Gotcha. So has that time passed for you then? Yes. Or, okay. <laughs> I Has I, that made it easier to lean towards a mission then? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, as I've been investigating more career paths and everything, mission and military are actually becoming increasingly compatible. Just because... Really? How so? You can go on a mission, and then how is that going to impact you joining the military after? You you're just still, do it. You just still sign young. up. Yep. Okay. There have been a number of general authorities, even President Monson before was in the military and shares some stories. Are there, are there any stories from leaders of the church or historical figures that have talked about their military experience that have impacted you in, in, in choosing that? Or again, I, I'm, I guess I'm curious where the military has, has come into play so strongly in your life. I'm curious as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where the inspiration came from, but. Um, Actually, hearing about uh, President Monson's um, experience in the military made it seem a much more viable option for me. I got you. Uh, just seeing the compatibility between the religion and then the military and seeing how they could work together and not be one versus the other. I have a friend of mine from my mission that is, he lives in Colorado now, and uh, he does listen to the podcast. So, hey, John, how are you doing? Uh, but... I, uh, he's a chaplain, uh, assistant chaplain, and uh, I even met a, a chaplain up at Harvard while I was uh, visiting there a couple years ago. And it's interesting to note how uh, closely connected the experience of military service can be to missionary service. Have you kind of thought about how closely the one may prepare you for the other? Yes, I've thought very much about that, um, specifically because JROTC did that for me. Yeah. Uh, spending all my time in JROTC, I ranked up way quick. By my senior year, I was the battalion commander. So I knew how to be independent. I knew how to make decisions, work with a team. I felt 
JROTC matured me a lot more and prepared me for a mission. So I definitely see how they could enforce one another. Cool. You feel like the choice to go on a mission isn't, it's not about whether or not you can be a good missionary. It's whether or not it fits your life path. Is that the best way to kind of describe it? Or are you still worried about being a good missionary? Or I don't know, what, where are you at in that part of it? I feel like I can be a good missionary. It's much more of a life path thing. Gotcha. You, you told me at church, I think it was either this last Sunday or the Sunday before, uh, where you think you would like to go on a mission. Where do you want to go? Oh, what a question. <laughs> Somewhere foreign. Um, probably Asia is where I'd like to go. And you, you mentioned Vietnam at the time. Yes, Vietnam. Uh, that's, that's someone else from our ward just came home from serving in Vietnam. Uh, I, have you talked to him about his experiences? Absolutely. I was one of the first people to greet him when he came home from his mission. Okay. And we talked about it for a while. Like He told me about his mission the things he experienced there. And then also uh, if I started learning Vietnamese, how it could possibly (laughs) help things things out for me. Yeah. Have you put in your papers yet or how, where are you at in that process? I have not. I am just, I haven't really started the process at all yet. I've gone to mission prep. I've told my bishop, you know, I'm ready to get started and that's as far as it's gotten. Okay. Well, we'll definitely want people to, uh, stay in tune and in touch with your story as it progresses. So uh, we'll try and give updates from time to time on how things are coming. But uh, have you felt any other kind of pressures being here in Utah? I mean, you, you grew up in Kentucky, but uh, you're here in Utah. Did you feel, do you feel a different sense of pressure to go on a mission being here in Utah? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's pretty common to hear about Utah Mormons being different from Mormons around (laughs) just because we have such a strong culture here of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's, it makes it a lot, there is a lot more pressure because of it, especially because I'm 18 now. A lot of my friends are leaving on missions and looking back and saying, Chase, why are you, are you still at home? (laughs) And then all my other friends are seeing that I'm still here and they're, you know, why haven't you gone yet? What's, yeah. what's going on? So it's, there's, from social groups, there's definitely pressure. In Utah, having a lot of family close and having them be Latter-day Saints as well, that means a lot of my family is involved. They, they want me to go. It's, I would say there's a lot more pressure, yes. Sure. And it's interesting too, because I, I grew up outside of Utah and I've moved here. I've been here a while now, but it's, it is, uh, I left from my mission from San Diego area. And so I would say that the majority opinion of people who are outside of Utah, they, they don't even know what a mission is, let alone pressure you into, into going. But it is, I can see how it is different here in, in Utah. And it also seems you brought up something interesting because as an 18 year old, you know, now it seems like it feels a little like the pressure is on you as an 18 year old to go because of the, the age change, but it's still very much that 19 is the age. But if you can, if you're ready, if you're whatever, that you can go at 18, not that that's the expectation or anything like that. So does do you feel that, that the age change has added to that pressure for you or has it made it easier for you because you get to go earlier and then get back and start your, your military career? Um, I would say it has taken pressure off. 
Oh, okay. Uh, I would say that because now that it's 18, it adjusts right up to high school. And some people are going to be ready to go right out of high school. Yeah. And then others will need some time to get ready and then they'll be able to go. And I think that takes pressure off because instead of building up to this one moment, you know, I'm 19 now, I can serve a mission. Yeah. It's okay, you're out of high school, you're learning and growing. If you're ready now, go on a mission. If you're not, take some time, mature, and then go. It's, it's, it has made it easier for me, I'd oh, say. Oh, good. That's good. I, uh, it's interesting to hear how people have responded to that age change and, and the way that it has impacted people's decision to go. So as far as you know, where things are now, you, you're still making that decision and you're still thinking about it, praying about it, and at some point... Something will be made known to you, I would assume, in some way. You'll, you'll know what direction you're to go. And it's a challenging decision. And uh, I guess, is there any, any advice to someone, and maybe they're 16, 17, and thinking about whether or not they should go? Is there something that you wish you had done or thought about even younger that would have helped you make this decision now? I would say if you have mission prep, if that's a resource available to you, start going to that. I would start thinking about your future and start thinking about how how it's going to affect you, how that's going to affect the people you would go on your mission for and serve. And right now, just start preparing. Don't stress about it too much, but start thinking and preparing yourself. Do the things that would prepare you for a mission. Don't be messing around too much, but you're still young. <laughs> When I was 16 and 17, you know, mission was the plan and that was as much as I thought about. And I don't feel like that was a bad thing for me, that it was, I had a plan and that was what I was needed. I had a goal and then now I can start working towards it. When I was 16, I can start working toward it by going to church and learning all the things I would need to, uh, just being an active member. And then as you get older, just start, keep working towards that goal. This might be a question that's hard to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and uh, we'll see how you respond. Do you feel that going on a mission would be something you would regret doing? This is definitely one I've thought about a lot. Um, that's part of what's holding me back right now, is I can't tell yet whether or not I'd regret it. Uh, I've ho- heard many people tell me I won't regret it, and then I've heard a lot of other things about missions, you know, that they're difficult, that all these ramifications of going on a mission. And um, I think it's a difficult question just because I have so many paths open open to me. I, I did well in school. I did well in JROTC. And I did well in seminary. So <laughs> I, I do ask myself, you know, if I choose this, will I regret it? Uh, I've heard so many good things about a mission. But I, I could also get a head start in my career if I do this now. But for me, I'd say right now it's too soon to say. I'm still f- trying to figure it out. Yeah. So the regret would be opportunities lost. Not the time in a mission, but more the opportunities lost? Yes. Okay. And my next step is to keep working towards both and eventually make a decision. I don't see myself plagued ever by regret as much as I am by indecision. But right now it really is a question of military mission and am I ready to sell my life yet? 
I admire the fact that you are taking this seriously and that you are giving this a lot of consideration because it is a big deal. It is. And it's at times it's scary as far as, you know, moving forward. We hope that you stay in touch with us and let us know how your mission's going and give us permission to let the podcast audience know how you're coming along. And, uh, we certainly appreciate you coming on tonight and coming over and being in my messy basement and, uh, and, uh, we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. At one point in my interview with Chase, I decided to try and wax eloquent and share some story that I had heard at one point in my life that was impactful for me. But after I went back and listened to the episode again, I realized that what I had shared with him just wasn't exactly right. There was something about it that I I needed to do differently. And so I gave it a matter of some prayer. And as I did so, the idea to share this following message came to mind. This is a bit from an MTC devotional that Jeffrey R. Holland gave back in 2011. It's kind of a precursor to the talk that he ended up giving in general conference about feeding my sheep, that whole interaction with, between Jesus and Peter. But this section of his talk that I edited down for an elders quorum presentation that I made some years ago, I decided to copy and paste that here because it seemed fitting, it seemed like the right thing to share to the audience that might be listening to this episode of the podcast. So I want you to take a minute here and listen to this clip of a very rare presentation that's not easy to find from Elder Jeffrey R. Holland at the MTC in 2011. We have a world in trouble. And if we understand these scriptures, it's not over yet. The last days for all of its greatness and grandeur in the dispensation for the church is not going to be a pretty picture for the world generally. And we'll be affected by that. We are affected by it. We're in that world. And you're God's answer. You're the hope of Israel. You are the hope of Israel. I stand all amazed. And what God would somehow know and have the confidence to believe could be done with people like you and people like me. It's a marvelous work and a wonder. I've thought long and hard about the apostleship. I'm not going to go into that tonight, but sometime in a seated around a living room fire with some popcorn or some hot chocolate, we'll talk about calls to the apostleship. But setting that aside, it's prompted me to read everything I could read about apostles, ancient or modern, just to try to learn, just to try to come to grips with it. That's the part I'll leave to tell you another day. But in so reviewing that, I've been drawn again and again and again to Peter, the chief apostle, still the chief apostle, the apostle that brings the Melchizedek priesthood and the apostolic keys back to the earth for this dispensation. Peter has a premier role in the apostleship and the Melchizedek priesthood work of this world. But when the Savior had lived his life and pursued his ministry and had gone, Peter was as as bereft as most of you feel right now. And he knew, he somehow knew he was in charge. He knew he was the the president of the church, so to speak, whatever, whatever the senior apostle would have been. 
But now Jesus is gone. He's been crucified and uh, the tomb's empty. He and John ran to the tomb and, and it was empty and, and, and there's this, this cascade of experiences tumbled down on them in, in a few hours, a couple of days at best. And then people are saying, well, what do we do now? I don't know that anybody ever asked that question because, frankly, they never got it. They, they weren't any, literally, truly. I mean, what? Look, they've been in the church at best 36 months. Can you imagine picking a quorum of the 12 out of investigators who have not been in the church or new converts who have not been in the church in any case longer than 36 months? We have to give them a little credit and a little courtesy that they were doing any portion of what they were doing. But they didn't get a lot of this. He kept saying, I'm going. He kept giving parables. He kept talking about people would destroy the temple in three days and he'd build it back up. Well, they didn't understand any better than the Pharisees what he meant. Everybody thought he was talking about the temple itself. And they thought, well, I guess he can, I guess he can build the temple back up. And they just didn't get it. And now they're gone. And people turn, the 12, the 11, the, the new 11, turn to Peter and say, well, what do we do? And what does he say? Well, it's been a great three months. It's been a great 36 months. It's been, these last little while has been terrific, and all of it was pretty good. We saw great teachings. We saw wonderful miracles. We saw healings. There we were on the Mount of Beatitudes. We, we saw him walk on the water. Peter, Peter probably wasn't so bold as to say that he had actually for a moment or two, but they've got all those memories. And he says, wasn't it great? Wasn't it terrific? Let's go fishing. He didn't know what to do. He, he, it's over. He's gone. Maybe they thought somehow this was going to turn into this political messiah too. Maybe, maybe good Orthodox Jews that they were once and probably still are a little bit, maybe they thought, well, whatever we thought the messiahship was, I guess it's going to be something else. Let's go fish. Let's go do the thing we know to do. We, that's what we were doing when he found us. So let's go. And they did. And they went back to Galilee and fished. And I guess life was going to go on. But something happened. It's early morning. They fished all night. They've caught nothing. You fish at night on the Sea of Galilee. They've caught nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nothing. Nada. No fish. And in the distance, because the sight is quite clear on a lake and the sound is very good across the surface of a lake, they see a figure who's made a little fire and uh, calls out to them and says, uh, how's your fishing gone? And they said, lousy. It's been terrible. You're going to have days like that. They said, we, it, we, it's, just, it's been a disaster. We haven't got anything. And he said, well, uh, cast your net over on the right side of the boat. And I'm sure there was somebody there who said, oh, well, now who is this? Who is this that's got such a cute idea about how to fish after we've been at it all night and is going to tell us out here laboring as we are, there he is safely on the beach. We're out here in these boats. He's going to tell us how to... I don't know whether they said that, but I'll bet somebody did. But reluctantly and maybe out of desperation, needing a catch, 
they are, after all, now back to doing what they used to do. And if they're going to fish, they got to fish. They cast their net over the right side of the boat and they can't pull the catch in. It starts to sink the ship. One of the miracles being that the nets didn't break. There were so many fish. They couldn't get the fish in the boat. And John said, it's him. It's him. And Peter, sweet Peter, who didn't know better than to say, let's do what we know how to do. Sweet Peter who cuts people's ears off and then they have to be put back on. And Sweet, loyal, devoted Peter looked at John, heard what he said, looked at the shore, saw the master, and bailed over the edge of the boat and said, the rest of you can row if you want. I'm going in. And he just started going to shore. Well, they arrive. The Savior, in this marvelous act of courtesy, has fixed their breakfast. He's built a little fire and cooked and, and baked some fish, cooked some fish. How, just a little passing thought about his magnificence. They're going to be hungry. They haven't had a good night, and I'm going to fix their breakfast. And they fall at his feet, and then Jesus starts this little interrogation, and with this I close. Peter, do you love me more than you love these fish in this net here and these boats and these oars? And Peter said, yes, I, I, do, love, I do love you more than these. And a second time, Jesus says, Peter... Do you love me more than you love these fish and your nets and your battered old boat? And a little distressed at that, Peter said, yes, I, I do. I, I said I did. I do. And the Savior probably took a deep breath and smiled and looked Peter right in the eye. And though he didn't verbalize it, apparently he was conveying to Peter, may I now say to you for the third time, do you love me? And Peter is very, very sensitive about threes right now. <laughs> and Jesus says, really in effect, Okay, for the last time, do you love me more than these, than what you do, than what you've just been doing? And Peter says, I do. I do love you more than anything. And that is the moment that Peter became the great apostle. Forget the denials, whatever they were. Forget the cut-off ears. Forget the impetuousness. Forget the confusion. Forget not knowing more than to come back to fish. Right here, face-to-face, -face, again, from the honesty of his heart, he said, I do love you more 
than anything. And to that, the Savior of the world said then, feed my sheep. I have asked you before to leave your nets, and I'm asking you again, and I don't want to ask you a third time. When I said leave your nets, it was forever. When I asked you to follow me, it was forever. When I asked you to be an apostle, it was forever. When I asked you to be a missionary, it was forever. When I asked you to see this through to the end, it was because it's not over till it's over. Now forget your nets and forget the fish and jettison your boat and throw those oars away for the second time and feed my sheep. We're in this till the end. And that's the day Peter strode into eternity and became the man within hours, within days at the very least, when people pled that they could be taken into the street and left on their cot in hopes the shadow of Peter would pass over them. That's the Peter that he became with that little confrontation on the shore. And the issue is for all time and eternity, do you love me? Do you love me? Elders, do you love him? You cannot get there from here. You cannot be what you have to be. You cannot say what you have to say. You cannot become the missionaries, the witnesses, the emissaries, the bastions and sentinels of truth that you're supposed You can't do it unless you love him. It is the first and great of, of, of all the commandments, the greatest of all the commandments, the first commandment. You need to decide tonight whether you're on a course that's committed to the idea that you really do love God. You really do love the Savior. And if you do, and I know you do, and I pray you do, and we'll all do this together, and we'll all march into the future together, but when you do, and when you say that, and when you believe that, then your call is to feed his sheep forever. Now, can you understand why you must never and may never and can never come back? It will never be the same again. Peter, you can't go home. You can't go back to fish. You can't go back to the Galilee. You can't go back to boats. It's over. It is a new life, a new day, a new time. You cannot go back. And if you do, you will break my heart and you will break the heart of God himself. If you turn your back on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which you have pledged your life, your, at least these next two years or 18 months to teach. But my point is it isn't just 18 months and it isn't just two years. And I stand here at 49 years and counting and say I pray that it's never, ever, ever over for me. And I pray that it's never, ever over for you. And if you are ever tempted on your mission or after to leave this faith or commit a, a transgression or to walk away from the covenants you've made and the honesty of your heart, not assuming you're going to be perfect and knowing that we're all going to have to repent every day of our lives about something, but your course needs to be true. You need to stay the course. You need to see it through. 
you can't go back. You've left your nets and you're going to feed sheep. You're going to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ for time and eternity. Do you love me? Well, then feed my sheep and do it forever. May you do so successfully and with God's love and mine and the Holy Spirit to attend you because you cannot possibly succeed without it. God bless you. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. I want to thank you as always for tuning into the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you were able to draw some inspiration from it. I want to also thank Chase Chesley for coming in and being vulnerable with us and understanding that this decision to go on a mission is a difficult one and it's one that sometimes you end up asking yourself that question on whether or not I should have gone on a mission throughout the rest of your life including the time on your mission. If that's a question that you've had and if that's something that you have worried about at any point in your life I hope that that message at least from Jeffrey R. Holland is of some inspiration to you. The challenge is real. The choice is difficult. And we do live in a time and a place where the choice to serve a mission is is still one that needs to be seriously considered and prayed about. And we will hopefully get some updates soon from Chase on his decisions, and we will share those with you here at Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. Thank you all for listening, and we hope that you tune in each and every week. We have so many different types of episodes. I hope you guys are enjoying the variety of episodes that we hope to bring you. We have missionaries that have gone out on missions and come home. We have some that are leaving. Obviously, now we have someone that's making the decision to leave. We also have scholars, historians, filmmakers, all talking about different ways in which missionary work can move forward. And we hope that you feel inspired each and every week by the Latter-day Saint Mission cast and the content that we work so hard to bring you. We will continue to do so, and we have some really exciting stuff coming up. And uh, at some point in the next couple of weeks, we already have the interview recorded, but uh, because the book isn't coming out for a couple of weeks, we haven't exactly released it. We have a very exciting interview with a scholar who has done a modern-day translation of the New Testament being published by BYU and Deseret Book in preparation for the coming year of our next year's curriculum in 2019. It's a Latter-day Saint study Bible, and uh, we hope to have that interview coming up in a couple weeks, so stay tuned for that. And we have some other guests lining up to bring you some great content. So thank you again for listening, and we hope to have you back soon on the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. 